Today we have Ryan Nunes on the show. Have you ever wanted to buy multifamily property with an institutional approach? Ryan found that the best way to make money is by doing the right thing. And he's focused on providing life-changing returns to investors. His background as a commodities trader means he approaches his investments with an analytical, methodical, and comprehensive approach. Listen as he shares how he takes his Wall Street background and applies that experience to the inefficient multifamily investing market. Before we jump into the intro, I want to let you know about a multifamily conference coming up. The Multifamily Investor Nation Summit put on by Dan Hanford and his business partner is coming up on June 10th through the 12th. It's a three-day online event for multifamily investors with over 1,000 attendees and over 50 speakers. I actually will be one of those speakers. Go to MFINsummit.com to grab your ticket and use promo code DARREN, D-A-R-I-N, all caps, to get $100 off. Dan was on the show, episode 25. It's a great opportunity to learn more about the space. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Ryan Nunes before we start the show. Ryan and his family live in the Houston area. He comes from a Wall Street background where he was a commodities trader. He shifted into the multifamily investing market to build legacy wealth and make a life-changing difference for investors and tenants that live in the communities. Ryan's on his third deal as a lead general partner and he has a GP portfolio of over 700 units. Now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Ryan Nunes with us. Ryan, appreciate you coming on the show. Darren, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, just a little bit of background on how I know Ryan. So we are both part of the same multifamily mentorship group. And as if you've listened to the show before, you know that I joined that group kind of the end of 2018. We're going to find out more about Ryan's story, but I think he came in about a year after me um, and he's already knocked down, I want to say two, three, four deals. So I am very interested to hear how things have been going for him and have him share that with, with you guys, the listeners. So Ryan, typically the first question I ask is how many properties, how many units you're invested in? Sure. So we are hopefully by the time that this podcast release, we'll have closed our um, third deal as lead. And then I've co-sponsored two deals. That'll put us at 777 units. 
That's crazy. And when did you join the multifamily mentorship group? It was about two years ago. Two years ago. Yes. So in two years, you know, I think that's important for people to hear because it is a difficult space to break into. And some people feel like, oh man, deals are hard to win and it's hard to break into the space. But here you are, a new guy, two years in and and you're about to close on your third deal. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So, oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I like to say that, uh, you know, just some color on that is I didn't even know what a cap rate was two years ago. <laughs> so that's, that's crazy. Um, we're going to get into the multifamily thing, but like you came from a Wall Street background. So can you share with the listeners kind of what your background was before getting into multifamily? Yes. So I worked in commodities derivative sales for 13 years. And effectively what I did, just explaining it to whether real estate folks is uh, when people lock in their interest rate, I did that, but for oil and gas. So calling on, you know, the likes of big oil and gas producers, airline companies, cruise lines, and helping them with their commodity risk management programs. And so we were pretty niche. I mean, oil and gas, you know, it came to the forefront with the freeze and why power prices went up to, you know, $1,000 plus and why gas prices soared. And, but that was the market that I, that I trafficked in. That's funny. It's funny because when you say what you do, did, right, it, it does come out pretty complex sounding, right? So then you have to bring it to, you know, the masses, you have to kind of simplify that. And uh, I think you did a good job of that. But hey, you were, you were in the niche, um, oil and gas. Why didn't you, when you decided to leave, why didn't you get into some oil and gas investments instead of real estate? Yeah, no, that's I probably probably should have as well. Um, for for us, we we had uh, working at different Wall Street banks. They were very very compliance heavy, so you could not invest in companies in anything in that space. So. Uh, any of the midstream or oil and gas companies, anything that I remotely um, would cover um, in terms of clients. And so, you know, I wanted to keep a, just a very clean separation of, you know, this is what I did for a living and these are the clients I covered. And, and so just would have no conflicts of interest or anything like that. Um, and, you know, frankly, I, you know, I guess I could have spent, you know, more time, you know, on deeper with a deep, more deeply understanding um, kind of valuations on the oil and gas side. But, you know, candidly, I was just really wanted to do something different and just challenge myself and um, had been looking for a number of years as to, you know, what else would be a good complementary field for my skill set and um, explored a lot of different things and looked at starting a franchise, a music school, and uh, early childhood education program, restaurants, and so forth. And, and but when I came across multifamily, I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is what I've been looking for." And so when you find that, um, you know, people say that about their wives or their spouses, but when you find it, you just kind of jump on it. And so that's what I did two years ago. That that's awesome. So were you still working um, as a W two employee when you when you started to invest multifamily? No, I wasn't. So it was kind of a clean break. And then uh, just decided, given the amount of personal capital I wanted to deploy and just what I felt was I had zero background in multifamily and uh, I just needed to, to spend the hours and the time and getting to know the markets, getting to know the players um, and just starting to understand, you know, how and, and what to invest in, what would make sense, how to run assets, how to manage deals. 
So it, it was, it just became a, more than a full-time job. Yeah, and, so- you, you know, people talk about, you know, I guess Wall Street's known for working some brutal hours, uh, but I felt I worked, you know, I've worked more in real estate than I ever worked on Wall Street, just in terms of hours. But you, but you enjoy it versus being told it. you have to, you have to be there. That's a, there's a big difference, you know, between doing your own thing and and working hard because you want to versus having to be somewhere, you know, uh, trading your time for money. So, um, but you said that you just it just clicked for you, man. Multifamily, you looked at all these different alternatives and, you know, it just clicked. Why? Uh, you know, I think what, what I was looking for is I felt, you know, I'm in the halftime of my career and what do I want to do? It, it became turning from, you know, my name and, you know, let's say, having a nice, you know, supporting a family, then it became, okay, here's your halftime point. What do you want to leave for, for people? What do you want to accomplish next? And a lot of it was, I wanted to build uh, something for my children. And I think real estate is, is one field that just endures eternal. And it's something you can pass on to your kids. It's easy to understand. So now before where I was driving in the car and I, you know, have different conversations with my kids, it's, it's now, about real estate and you're driving and you're seeing different office buildings and apartment buildings and just, you know, can our homes and so forth and can just have, you know, just interesting conversations with them and to apprentice them so they could learn some hard skills. Uh, and then for me, it was kind of this, I guess, second half was about how can you make a big impact on people? And what's really nice is that when you own an apartment community, I mean, the tone and the temperament of the, the the property and the community, really, you set that. I mean, if, if there's things that you want done, you just say, guys, I'm either going to incentivize people or I'm going to be on these weekly calls or twice a week calls. And I'm going to just, you know, keep hammering on those things that I want to see happen at this property. And, and so that's something where you really have a direct impact. One thing that we do is, is uh, you know, Life Changing Capital, the company that I founded, um, it's kind of a play on words. I mean, we talk in Wall Street about a life-changing amount of money. And so, you know, that's part of it. Um, but but really, it's about, about changing lives and having a big impact on the residents at these communities and, um, you know, being able to partner. We've partnered with churches that, you know, in our San Antonio property, it's just down the street, and they've held a number of resident outreach um, for Easter and Thanksgiving and so forth. And then we're hosting a summer camp for kids at our property in Houston. And um, we're taking over property next few weeks. And there's a church down the street. So, you know, it's something um, that we really like to see happen at our community because people come to apartments with a lot of needs. You know, they're in different stages of their lives. And, you know, sometimes it's been struggles. And, you know, you look at, let's just say, 100 units, um, you know, it's a hundred different families behind each door and, and just, just mathematically, um, you know, there's just, people have gone through different things that where they could use some help an extra hand and someone to knock on their door and, and, you know, pray with them or, you know, say, here's some food or here's an opportunity just to connect with somebody else. Yeah, that's huge. Um, no, I like that you have that, that bent and I've, you know, I've met other people within the group and also outside the group that have really have that um, ingrained in them that they want to build community. You know, they want to, they want to help their residents. They want to provide a great place for them. And they, you know, partner with different organizations like you're doing. 
Um, I applaud you for that. Um, I'm, I'm not as wired that way. I'm more, I'm more like, look at the numbers, you know, I put in, put in nicer finish outs and what can I get for, you know, additional rent. I'm more business, um, focus, but there's, there's a true return to building that community. I've seen it with other people. Um, because look, if you make it a nice place to live where people want to stay, they could stay there for three, four, five, ten, ten 10 years. Like, and then they could bring their aunts and uncles and, you know, they make it a community. And if you have less turnover, you know, for people that are outside the space, they may not think about this, but if you have less turnover, then that keeps your expenses way down because every time a unit turns, you got to repaint the unit, you got to clean it up, you got you know, you have some time in between when when they they moved out, when the next person moves in, so that's not, you know, there's no rent coming in for that period. So, um, you know, I applaud you for having that, but I think that part of that just comes from inside, you know, like and and you have that. So, awesome. And, and Darren, don't get me wrong. We, we care a lot about the financials. We scrub the data really hard and, you know, we push rents really hard on our properties, but we also just believe in, in my whole philosophy in Wall Street. And I think one of the things that, you know, helped in my success there was I always felt like I was going to give first before I asked for something. So we come into our properties, we do a massive CapEx program up front and really before we start asking for anything. So, you know, if we're pushing rents, we feel like we need to add something to the units and before before we ask for rent increases, but at our properties and we've pushed rents, you know, some $300 at our Houston property. Wow, that's um, awesome. So just through, you know, huge transformation on the rehab. So that's come 30, 40% um, increases that we've seen. Uh, that's, that's but fantastic. we do that. And, you know, for me, I love interacting with the residents. So I was at our property uh, earlier this month when rents do. And, and so people are coming in to, to provide and to pay. And, you know, I get to talk with them and say, how's the experience? You know, what things do you like? What do you like about your unit? What don't you like? What do you like about the community? What should we change? And, you know, for me, I like to hear that unfiltered, unvarnished directly from the resident address concerns. Um, it just it just makes me more in touch. I just want to be very in touch with what's happening at the community so we can, you know, solve, solve any issues. And like you said, I mean, I think people get so, um, you know, I think we just want to be crazy about high renewals and, 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 and also trying to get rents like that perfect, you know, pushing rents, but people saying you're adding value. So I want to stay here. I like what I see. Yeah, that's great. Um, Now, how do you, there's some people that I've met in this multifamily world that will advise, you know, don't let the tenants know that you're the owner um, because then they're going to come up and try to whatever, negotiate things with you. And, and it makes it difficult for the property management company. If you know, the tenant can get direct access to the owner and go around the person that's on site. So how do you get past that piece? Uh, you know, it's tough. I think, I think, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't tell people I'm the owner, uh, <laughs> but when they ask questions and we're able to affect changes, they, they, they kind of figured out. So, you know, when I was visiting our property in Houston, there was one gentleman um, who, who just, I, I wish I had some pictures to show this because it was so much pride of ownership. And I have a picture of him um, that, that we'll be releasing to our investors this month just and sharing the story, but a little preview. His name was Faustina. 
And he went into the leasing office and he's like, I really love my unit. Like, I love where it is. He lived there. He has a son with autism, um, a number of service dogs. And so the unit was in pretty rough shape. Um, someone that lived there for a while. And um, but just outside, he had, you know, Christmas, he'd have the reindeer and the Santa Claus, but very tasteful, actually. And then a garden. And, you know, he gave me some mint and and so forth. But as he was talking with the leasing um, consultant, you know, he, he, you know, I could listen to the conversation and then she talked with me and he had left and she told me, you know, he wants to stay in his unit. He wants to like you to rehab it while he's in there. And I was like, you know, that's really going to be tough. But I said, you know, maybe we can move him to another place. Like we have a number of units that are coming up or, you know, maybe we could move him to another unit temporarily. And he was waiting outside. So I went back to my car and he goes, you know, sir, can I, I want to show you my unit. I want you to meet my family. And so, you know, I was getting ready to leave somewhere else, but I said, you know, this is, if, if I'm going to kind of, um, you know, whatever, talk to talk, walk to walk. So it was just an opportunity for me to really interact. He showed me, I met his family, showed me his unit and he showed me the issues that they were having. And it was clear, like, you know, these are things that we needed him to move to another unit. I went and personally toured um, our upgraded units, showed him what we were doing and what his unit could look like. And, you know, these units were available if he wanted to choose. And one of them, and he wanted a downstairs location in kind of the main courtyard. I said, we are working on the unit right now. Why don't we, you know, transfer you there? And it's a larger unit. It looks beautiful. This is what it'll look like. And he was sold on it. So, you know, we we he was paying like six ninety and um, for a, a one bedroom, and he's going to move into a one thousand one hundred dollar unit. We said we were Holy planning cow. to put washer dryers in it, That's but we a said huge jump. Yeah. And he loved it though. And he loved the community. And he's like, can I, can I do my, you know, can I bring my guard in there? And I said, you can do whatever you want. I like what you do. And I love the passion and you know, not a problem. You know, we, we, I really appreciate long-term residents and people that love the community and, you know, cause that's what we're trying to build. Um, and, and residents we've, we've take a lot of pride. We've you know, had a lot of transfers or upgraded units, you know, the kind of the people that raise their hand early on or the people that hear about it, see their friends moving to the upgraded units. And it's like, this is great because our business plan was to upgrade four or so a month. And when we upgrade, a transfer happens and it's like, hey, we can go work on their unit and then get a new new person in or a transfer. And so it just helps um, and it helps build that longevity. And that's that's something that we like to see. And, you know, per your your comment there, Darren, earlier on is is it reduces turn costs. And that's something where, um, you know, the longer a tenant can a resident can stay in the unit, the better for them and for us. You know, I've I've moved a lot in my life. It's not fun. And but we also feel that we want to supply something that's such high quality that people are like, yeah, even though, you know, there's a shinier object across the street, we like it here. This is where we want to stay. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Hey, um, how do you take the Wall Street, you know, background and leverage that in in this space? Um, you know, uh, I've seen social media posts and different things that you, you know, how do you get how do you, how are you guys unique in in the way you guys approach it? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. You know, there's a lot of things. So, you know, I'll try and try and break this down. What we like to say is we're institutional. So, you know, we just dig through very hard in terms of financial statements, rent rolls, and history of the property. You know, we dig and negotiate hard with, you know, interest rate, uh, interest rate caps, even our loan documents. And, 
through purchase and sales agreements, um, you know, just, you know, where some people may say, oh, like I'm not, that's not my area of expertise. I'm going to outsource it. Like, well, no, this is at the end of the day, we're responsible for it. So we're going to dig through our, our PM agreements and, um, you know, just set up um, a way where we can build win-win situations with folks uh, on the property management side and just make sure that we're setting clear expectations. Same thing with our partners. And, um, you know, for any co-sponsor that's been involved with us, we've gone through an interview process. So that can be, you know, fairly lengthy. Um, and we just encourage, you know, people that are interested in partnering with us to get to know us early on. Um, and this way, you know, those relationships are warm versus just slammed together. Uh, so those are some of the things that we do on the institutional so, can, side. If I if I could uh, jump in there, just for the listeners' benefit, can you think of one scenario? What in a, any of those areas that you mentioned, uh, property management agreement, or purchase sale agreement, or um, you know loan agreement, anything that you've possibly changed or modified or took it, you know, negotiated that maybe some other syndicators haven't that they should be paying attention to? Yeah. You know, I think actually that's, it's a great question. I think one of the examples, and sometimes, you know, this could rub people the wrong way, but we always feel like just how in, in wall street, I was like, I'm always going to do what's right for the client. So if there was any time a situation, so, was so like, I'm sorry what's, that I'm breaking in here, but Wall Street doesn't always have that reputation, and I'm sure that you that you know that. Um, but yes. you took it; you you had a different philosophy. Yes, because when you're and saying that in conjunction with Wall Street, some people don't yes. see that as always yes. happening. So it was always like, hey, if we if we could fill somebody better on a transaction, and you know. And, you know, they wouldn't know, but it's like, hey, why don't we just do the right thing and they'll remember that for life? So that was a little bit of our approach. Um, here's, here's a good example. I mean, to answer your question yeah. is in, in the first deal that we led, there was a lender that everybody uses and we just felt like, you know, they were a broker. And for me, a broker, it, they should have your fiduciary responsibility, which, you know, candidly, they don't um, as a mortgage broker, which is totally bizarre. And so there's some things about this space that are just, you know, I don't think I'll ever fully understand um, and, and feel that it's the right thing. But in any case, we just felt like they weren't, you know, for me, a broker in commodities, it was like, I'm going to bring you the market and I'm going to bring you, I'm going to go out. If I have to go to five, 10 people, I'm going to get you the market. And on the mortgage side, it was like, I'm going to one or two people and that's the market. I'm like, that's not the market because there's, you know, 20 guys that do this. And so I need you to, to ask more people because we don't like these terms. And so what ended up happening is we said, you know, we really wanted to give this person business, you know, because we had spent time with them. They had spent time with us. They invested with us likewise. Um, but we just felt like, again, what's best for our investors is we needed to go find another um loan provider. And so we did. And we ended up saving, you know, on the just all in dollar wise is over $200,000 in terms of fees, in terms of um, expenses and so forth. I mean, we got a, a 371 interest rate versus a 4.2 rate. I mean, these are huge differences. That's Three years IO team. versus one or two, yeah, 80% leverage when they're like, you're going to get 75% max. So it was just, and, you know, we realized right then and there, and, and again, this is not something I learned in real estate. This is just from the commodity side is that some people are axed and some people aren't. 
And, you know, when you feel that someone's not giving the best quote, it's probably because they're not asked to do the business. Go find somebody else. And, you know, we we tried to be very professional about it and just say, you know, we really want to give you this business. You know, we need you to find more people. Otherwise, we need to go here because, again, we want to do what's best for our investors. No, that, um, that makes so sense. That, that makes a lot of kind sense. Of a real world example. But. That is a real world example. You know, there's certain um, relationships that are going to be provided to you. And, and if you're around a lot of people and a lot of people are using one party over another party, you know, you may feel, um, like you, you just want to go that direction. But if, if in your gut, you know, you can get a better deal, you know, material, it's one thing to pay a little bit more, you know, with somebody that, you know, and, um, has relationships with other people that, you know, but you know, if, if you can save substantial amount of money for you, your investors, um, by making an extra phone call or two, then, you know, that's all the power to you. You know, that's the way it should be. Absolutely. Um, So, Hey, you also, uh, mentioned that you guys are very transparent. So what, how are you transparent? Can you kind of talk through an example there? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we, we try to put out the, the best monthly product that we know of and can produce. And, you know, I'm invested in 16 deals passively. And I just, you know, being involved in that many deals passively, I just want to quickly know thumbs up or thumbs down on my investment because it's a liquid, you know, there's not, you're not getting a, I don't have a minute by minute ticker of what's happening with with the property. Uh, but I just want to know, you know, as a passive investor, thumbs up, thumbs down. And I also want to know just, you know, what are delinquency balances, the things that people should care about, you know, what, how are rents trending? Um, and so we just provide that and, you know, just very candidly, we don't provide like, oh, here, go into this. You have to log in, log in, log in to, you know, get a data dump of stuff. It's just like, here's the things that you need to know. You don't even need to go I, anywhere I, else. I love what you're saying. I'm not invested in one of your deals yet, but I feel exactly the same way. I'm like sitting, you know, about to get my haircut, right? I'm waiting to, to get, and I get an email from one of the, I'm in invested in, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 deals, whatever. Um, and I just want to know, like, I just want to read the email and say, yeah, everything is good, man. We're on track or we're having this challenge, but here's what we're doing to to correct it. I don't want to log into something else and I don't remember my password. I have to go home, you know, like, so I love that approach. I feel the same exact way. Um, but not, not every syndicator does. And we've gotten a lot of unsolicited feedback on on the quality of those monthly reports. And, you know, on our recent deal, we put those comments just so people could know before they step in, because, you know, oftentimes people you're meeting people and they're telling you about their wonderful deal and how amazing they are. And then it's like, man, you know, then you go into the monthly reporting process, you commit to the deal and it's like, wow, this is not what I thought it would be. And so we just want people to know, like when we say that we're going to be transparent, here's unsolicited feedback from 10 different people that tell you about what it's like to invest with us. And not only that, you know, for us, we've had people invest in, and I've done four syndications and I've had people invest in each one of those. Um, and, you know, which I, for me is, means a lot, you know, that they've trusted me so much and, Absolutely. Uh, and just as well as other people we have had repeat investors. 
And That's I think good. it just speaks to the quality of the reporting. So, you know, the transparent side is, is uh, if anyone has a question, again, kind of institutional, transparent, 24-hour response time. I mean, it just something that working on Wall Street 13 years in commodities, commodity prices moved every nanosecond. So if we if we didn't answer a call or an email or a text, um, the trade would be done away and we could potentially use $100 million or so. Um, sorry, $100,000 million. <laughs> uh, and in it for us, it, it, uh, it, you know, just it's hardwired in me that when an investor asks something, a, a partner asks something, it's just like, you know, why wait? Just just respond to them. Uh, so that's that's also what we provide to our investors at all hours of the day. That's fantastic. Um, so I also saw a post, um, social media post recently. It was when something like this, we just raised our distributions from, I want, you could tell me the numbers, but I want to say 4% to 8% or 5% to 10%. Some, yes. And and I was like, man, that's a good post to get as an investor, you know? So sure. um, talk, talk about that. Yes. So um, that the first deal that we, we syndicated, um, you know, it was a 21-year owner and we felt there was a lot of uh, meat on the bone. And we thought we could, you know, reduce expenses and, you know, all these things that you think and you're like, you know, I think we could raise rents here. People have lived here, just our due diligence lived here on average four years, which, you know, I've only seen that one other time at a property. And, um, and, you know, a few months into the deal, we did all those things. So we cut expenses 38%. Wow. And, you know, we've raised renewals. And just because people like the property, they saw all the CapEx we've deployed, which we finished our CapEx program within the first six months of ownership, completely finished it. Everything except for the interior renovations, which take time. And we've actually had people that have said, I don't want to move. I don't need, need you to touch my unit. Here is, you know, what you're asking for your pro forma rent. So we're getting pro forma rents. And these are like going from, you know, $807 to $930, sometimes even $1,000 um, without having to touch without, without having to upgrade. Yeah, their, just yeah. because people like it. They see the, the uh, one of the maintenance guys actually sent me a phone of a video, a video of the garden that we put in. So during our spring break in Houston, I took my family to the property. We put in gardens. And uh, it's really nice. We planted some things, but we really wanted the baton to be passed to a resident. There was a number of them that had plants and vegetation outside. And we said, here's some garden beds. Now they want more of those. And there's cucumbers and peppers and all different things growing there, tomatoes. Um, but we've had a lot of success at the property. You're going to be invited and, over to, to eat over at these tenants' houses, <laughs> apartments. Right? So, uh, so it's, it's um, you know, we've, we've had a, a lot of success there. We start our distribution um, two months early. We tell investors um, we wait for six months to distribute. And, and that's just because we want to, you know, implement the CapEx. And it's kind of early on. I mean, you're going through a lot of operational changes and, you know, staffing and so forth. And so we just say, give us a six-month, six-month grace period, then we'll start distributions. But we we did so much work and got the right staff in place that we started distributions at four months. We started at 5%. And then at six months, we were like, you know, we're still holding back a lot, but we said, let's just go to 10%. You know, we could have pushed it way north of that, but we just said, that's probably good enough. Um, but uh, awesome. yeah, so that's, you know, we feel very, you know, we, we distribute monthly. That's also something that we do in terms of transparency. 
Uh, I only know of one other deal or so that I'm invested in that does monthly. Um, and for me, the quarterly, it's just like, I have no idea what's coming. And, you know, I don't even, I get it. And I'm like, I don't even know what month this is for or what months or, you know, why it was this and different than last time. We just right. like do it monthly and people know like, okay, the first week of the month, boom, they're going to get yeah. something. In no, that, that is nice. Most of my deals are sporadic. Um, but I'm invested in, in one pref deal that, well, now two, but one for, for a while that was a pref deal. And month one, I get, I get 8% distribution like clockwork. And I'm like, you know what? Feels good. I don't, yeah. There's a, there's a comfort <laughs> factor to that. You know, like I don't, I don't know at the end of the day, you know, some of my other deals may provide me a bigger return you know, at the end of the day, I don't know. Um, time will tell, but it, there is a comfort factor that you just get that cash that every month. And, um, so that that's good. I think that that's good that you did that. Um, Hey, earlier you said that this is easy to understand. So I think once you do it, you know, it becomes, it just makes sense. But, you know, there's people that are listening that some are looking to scale and they're in the business. And then there's some people that they want to get into the business. But I actually think it's scary to get in on your first deal. Like, because it's not like buying a stock, you spend 5,000 bucks or a thousand bucks on one trade. You, you know, whether, even if you're getting in passively, you're, you're, you're investing 50 grand or 75 grand or hundred grand into a deal. That is a lot of money to a lot of people. And so, um, talk about how it changes after you do it, that you start being like, you know what, this just makes sense. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great nuance that you brought up. So I would say easy to understand, you know, I could take my kids or nine and 11 and they can understand the business of we go to apartment community, you see the residents, they pay rent, we upgrade the units, they pay more, um, you know, you take care of them, you service them, they want to stay and, you know, you treat your staff well and you just watch expenses and you make, and you make sure that we're not just, you know, wasting money at the property. So, you know, it's an easy to understand business. Um, so, you know, that's something I could, I could explain that much more easier than I could explain, you know, commodity derivatives. Um, so, uh, <laughs> or what happened in the freeze and why, you know, prices did what they did. Um, but then the next question that you said is, you know, getting into the business. And actually, I think there's a huge gap between, you know, my, where my kids are to, you know, actually they've invested, you know, my daughter has invested past in our deals, you know, uh, a small amount. Uh, she goes, I didn't want to lose money. So I'm just putting a little bit in. So, uh, but then you have, you know, folks that really want to lead a deal. And, and that's a huge chasm. Um, you, you know, one, taking investor money, two, and putting hard money down and making sure you truly understand all the nuances of the tra transaction. And I think this is where I think the business can, you know, people dumbify it or that's probably not a great word, but, you know, they, they say like, oh, multifamily is easy. But I would say, you know, to do it right and to get the returns and performance where your investors are going to be happy and they're going to stay with you. I think it's really, really challenging. One, because the space is so overcrowded. Two, because, 
you know, asking prices and, you know, what people are paying and the types of financing, it's just, it's very hot, right? So um, it feels very crowded. And I think that's where it becomes uh, much, much more difficult. So, you know, that's a very nuanced thing. Easy to understand, extremely, extremely difficult to operate effectively and well. Um, And that's really where you need to trust, know, and like your sponsors. It is a lot of blocking and tackling. You know, each day you have to be on top of things. I mean, your property can slip in in just a few days. Um, You know, people can walk out the door. You know, you're not collecting balances and so forth. So you just have to be on it all the time. Um, And so that's why, you know, we visit our properties a lot. We, you know, I kind of think of them as, you know, I only have two kids, but I feel like, you know, now I have, you know, three more They're babies. Yeah, they, they really are like the dates. We close them are the birth dates of my kids <laughs> type of thing. So, um, so just, you know, I think that's a nuance that, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to mislead anyone. This is not an, an easy business. It's easy to understand. <laughs> right, right. Right. So, Hey, um, I didn't really prep you on this, but like you you got the wall street background. Um, you're, in the business, you're about to close your third deal. You you mentioned that it's a hot market. You know what? What's your? You know, none of us has a crystal ball, right? So, but what's your forecast? I mean, it is really hot. I mean, people, I brokers are saying they're getting calls from New York and California, and they're bidding on deals, and they don't know who they are, and they're you know there's a lot of hot money chasing multifamily deals. You know Absolutely. what what. We just had all the stimulus being thrown into the the marketplace. You know, what's your forecast? Does does multifamily stay hot for the foreseeable future, or are we at a top? Or I have no idea. Yeah, no, I think uh, I have to have an idea because I'm uh, you know making big bets on these things. But you know, my my answer is very nuanced. I I feel that you have to be super super selective about the assets and the sponsors that uh, you know if you're investing passively, the uh, you know uh, the sponsors and the the assets that you that you chase. Um, it, just because you know, I think it is an inefficient market, and there's going to be assets that could be side by side, and one could perform really well, and one could be horrible. Um, so uh, in terms of the overall market, you know, I, I think about areas like DFW and like you said, Darren, you have New York buyers, California buyers, and you just wonder like, you know, when I moved to Houston 11 years ago, I said, you know, here I'm paying X dollars for this house. I'm like, why should this trade at such a discount relative to something in New York City and like, or, or on the suburbs, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, because you're seeing employment growth, you're seeing job growth, you're seeing population growth coming to Houston and New York City, it's just higher taxes. And, um, you know, so in the same way on the on the residential side, you know, for multifamily, like why can't things trade in really low cap rates? You know, I think what's happening is it, it, it could be, I mean, these, it, it could become like, oh, there's no cap rate on California deals or New York deals are super low. It could DFW, Houston to Texas Triangle could very much trade like that. 
But I think what happens and what I have, you know, just in two minds about is my whole thesis coming into the space when I got in two years ago was like, wow, I just love the idea of you're buying something that's highly occupied. Again, easy to understand. Right. And, you know, people need a place to live and they pay rent because that's the first thing they need to pay. You get money in, you pay expenses yeah, and there's still exactly. cash left over. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, you know, for me, it was like you're buying you're buying for cash flow. And to me, that made a lot of sense. But now, just given where pricing is, particularly in DFW, is it's really much more of a capital price appreciation game than it is a cash flow game. And so it's a very different thing. And I think investors need to understand that, that candidly, you know, the seven, eight percent and some people, you know, 10 percent cash on cash that we're putting out in San Antonio. Like, I don't think deals now really truthfully pencil to that. Um, just given where pricing is and and potentially where it's going. And, you know, in my mind, it's like either a market like DFW, and I, and I kind of said this, someone either can go up 25% and you could paint a story for why it could um, and that you have California, New York, and they just take it equal to, you know, California, New York pricing. And, you know, you could say, hey, well, those areas are losing population, DFW is growing. So just think about that and think about you know, all of the amazing jobs that are, are, are here and how awesome it is to live in Texas. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor, if you will. Um, and then, you know, why it could go down that much is that you have, you know, some of the most amount of apartments being built in the Texas Triangle because it is such a great market. But, you know, the, the we used to say in commodities, the cure for high prices is high prices, <laughs> you know, i.e. Um, when oil prices went up, you know, and people are like, oh, gasoline prices are high. It's like, well, have them go up and then people will produce more and then prices will come down. And it's like for multifamily, the cure for high prices is high prices is that, you know, you're seeing some class C 1970 assets traded 140 a unit. And it's like, that causes me a lot of heartburn. And when I hear that some new build is, you know, 165, someone was telling me, and it's like, that seems really tight. Like the the 1970, which is 50 years old. And I say like, at some point it just depreciates. It doesn't appreciate. And so in my mind, you can paint the picture for maybe this could go down, you know, 10, 15%, um, which would be really bad. And, but there is this inflationary pressure, which, you know, helps rents, but also hurts expenses. And so that's kind of, you know, my thoughts and how I kind of manage that risk is I just am super selective about the deals that we chase, because if I feel like this thing could fall in that category of it's a flat roof chiller property for 140 unit, I'm just like, you know, that may not be compelling to somebody in a year or two when we try to exit, you know, right. or five years when we try to exit, let's say. Sure, sure. Um, it may just be like, you know what, I want the new shiny, you know, new build class A that is now trading, you know, discounted because they overbuilt. So I think people have to be really selective. Um, I've, you know, had the pleasure of being in a very volatile market where, you know, they talk about the stock market going through cycles every 10 years or so. But I felt like commodities within a year, it could go through a cycle. Um, it could be, you know, we just saw it, right? We saw minus $38 crude and now it's 65. So you know, it's a perfect example of, you know, everybody thought the world was ending and it went to minus 38. And now everyone's like, oh, everything's reopening. People are going to travel. You know, it's going to be crazy. 
and I feel like in multifamily, I'm, 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 I'm very cognizant. Again, everything for me in, in real estate is thinking in a commodities lens, a Wall Street lens, and applying that to multifamily. So I'm very humble to say, yes, the market could correct. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it is a little bit crazy to me that everything is priced pro forma. It's priced to perfection. And if something doesn't hit pro forma, you know, people just need to be realistic about expectations with their investors. Well, I think that's smart. Um, you know, you said it a number of times, be, be selective, you know, be selective in this, in this market. I, I feel, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if the market turns in six months or six years, you know, um, I, I do think we're, you know, we're in a heated market. Um, I still want to invest in this market because I, I think there's a lot of good things happening in Texas um, and in other markets like, you know, Arizona and the Carolinas and Florida and Tennessee, where population growth is moving in. And so if there's population growth and there's job growth, then there should be upward pressure on real estate prices, you know, both residential and, and multifamily and rent. Um, but, you know, I use a little bit of different term. Um, I mean, selective for sure. But I like I I want to look the deals I want to invest in. I want to see some cushion. I want to see some cushion that if we go into a downturn, that the property and the cash flow can can sustain that downturn. And and I think we're saying the same things that when you, when you're selective, you're looking for that. Absolutely. Um, but well that that's where I saw people get hurt in that last great recession was. Um, really deals where the loan came due in a bad economy and you're forced to either refinance or sell the property and maybe your cash flow was negatively impacted. Maybe cap rates are higher. Valuations are down. You don't want to, in these deals, you just don't want to be forced to sell. So you want to have cash cushion and you want to have, you know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, maturity risk and, and pushing that out. Some people are okay with taking, taking that maturity risk and, and having, you know, short duration financing, but I, I just think it's a risk at this stage of the game. Um, but in any event, I, I like your approach to it. Um, you, you have a very um, s- strong mindset on, on making sure that you protect your investors. You know, and it sounds like you were that way in the Wall Street world, too, that you wanted to, you know, do the right thing for your customer. And like I alluded to, that's not always the reputation of Wall Street. So um, it's, it's good that you had that going through there. Hey, um, how'd you grow up, man? Did you grow up um, brothers, sisters, only child? Where'd you grow up? parents, entrepreneurs? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in New Jersey outside of Princeton. So people probably heard of Princeton University. So grew up in just an an awesome, awesome area, very diverse, very artistic. Um, And that really shaped, you know, I think it's a great question that you're asking, because I find that, you know, whenever you talk about uh, whether folks, a lot of it just comes back to their childhood and um, parents still very close to them. 
call them pretty much every day. We're going to be spending two weeks in New Jersey. Good for you. My, weeks, my yeah, mom so. was like, did you hear what he said? Just call me every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now I talk with them every day. And, uh, What's interesting, my dad, you know, I kind of say that uh, a lot of people that we knew, um, my, my business partner and I, you know, they, they, they uh, watched two pitches go by on the first two deals and then they swung on this third one because they're like, hey, guys are real. You know, we saw the performance, we hear about it. So, and so it's funny, like on the same day, my dad and his dad called him and was like, okay, we want to invest in this deal. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. But um, I have two, two older sisters and also very close with them. And uh, my parents, I would just say they were very laissez-faire, just very hands-off. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of great things about that. And also some things that as a parent, you know, seeing like how I was raised and um, I think the pros and cons, the pros were they let me try anything I wanted and they were very supportive. So if I was like, hey, I want to go play guitar, they're like, okay, Um we'll buy you a guitar and, you know, you just need to practice it. And I was like, thank you. And, you know, I want to go play basketball. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll go to your games and support you. And, um, you know, they never told me what to do. They were like, we want you to figure out. And so the, the thing in there for my kids is like, Hey, I'm going to just talk with you about a, a number of different career fields and things that might excite you or may not and pros and cons and just, you know, sh you know, be more forthcoming with the knowledge and experiences I have. And so, um, I think my dad was more of a, a man with few words, but, you know, just showed his love demonstratively in, in being there, uh, for us. Um, and so there's a lot of great things that, um, you know, I want to pass on to my kids and, you know, they do live in New Jersey, but, you know, for, for me, it's, it's really important that my kids know them well. And we, we do spend, um, a number of weeks with them each year and that's just a really special time for us. So, that's um, awesome. yeah. When you were a child, did you ever think to yourself, I'm going to be successful? And what did that look like to you? Um, uh, I, you know, I, at one point I said, I wanted to retire by the time I was 35. Uh, <laughs> and, How old and, are you now? Uh, I, I'm 41 and I guess, you know, I could have done that. So I'm uh, 51. But, so I got 10 yeah. years on you. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I guess that, that could have happened, but you know, for me, I just enjoy working. You know, I, I honestly, I have a, a, you know, what do you would say a fundamental view, but I believe, you know, we were created by God and God, you know, chose Adam and Eve to work in the garden. And, you know, that's just embedded in us. I mean, we find joy in our labor and, you know, I wouldn't be doing multifamily unless I got up each morning and really enjoyed it. Right. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed what I did on wall street and commodities I was very fortunate, extremely blessed to have the career that I had and meet the people that, that I were, was able to meet and have the, the work-life balance that I had. Um, so uh, my, my parents are just very hard workers. And I think one thing that I really try to pass on to my kids that I felt was very, two things I felt were instrumental in, in you know, where I am today, I would say one is I would go out, I don't know how early it was in my career, but I remember it, it one funny thing, it just started like I wanted to sell things and I wanted to just do something 
to make money and and just to feel like this pride of of work. And so I took some old baseball cards, wrapped them up, and went door to door trying to sell them, uh, which wasn't a hit. But you know, I started doing um, chores and and work, you know, weeding and lawn mowing and babysitting and house sitting and dog sitting um, for neighbors and uh, snow shoveling and so forth. So that's something I feel that work and that discipline and just you know, understanding the value of money at an early age, super important. So that's something I pass on my kids. So they still cut the lawn and, you know, they cut the lawn even when they were started when they were six or seven. It was like, you guys are old enough to, they speak multiple languages and play music. So I'm like, if you can do that, you can cut the grass. Sure. Um, and but then a difference between like you telling your kids they have to do it, you know, and, and you having the self-determination that you wanted to go do it. Like, so, like you're still teaching your kids something, but kids either have that self-determination or not, or, or not, or it could be learned, but you know, there's a difference between telling your kids you got to mow the lawn and you sure. going around the neighborhood and saying, Hey, I want to make a few extra bucks and sure, you're not sure. doors. And so I Mike, think that yeah. that quality is, is a quality that, helps you be successful at wall street and it's helping you be successful in the multifamily world as well now i appreciate that um and the second thing which is going to sound a little bit odd is um in high school i was mentioning that princeton's a very artistic place but um my myself and my two best friends at that time growing up we you know they they were pretty musical and you know i was just learning the guitar and we were would hang out a lot and was like, why don't we just start a band? And so we started a band. We weren't good enough to play any anybody else's songs. So we just wrote our own. And uh, what we ended up doing though, is we would go to different places and just rent out the place and then book a show and then charge people to come in. And you know, we were running this little business, if you will, at um, you know, completely unsupervised, which is crazy to think of nowadays. We would rent out a place and you know, they would let us do it. And we would you know, have two, 300 people there, um, all kids in high school uh, with no parent chaperone. So, uh, <laughs> well, but hey, you know. <laughs> that's, it, it's a different world today than it was it when, is. when we were growing up, right? It is. It's it's a different world, but you know, for us, we just we learned that okay, people are trusting us to do that, and you just and and again in multifamily, these lessons learned when people trust you like that, you know, for us, a great example. I mean, similarly, is we just did we had a thirty eight minute or forty minute presentation for our last deal, and we raised four point two million dollars within a few hours. Within a few there was hours. no questions asked. Yeah, there was no questions asked on the webinar. You know, one because again, we try to be very transparent, very upfront about everything. Um, but you know, we just realized people are investing in us. And so when I go back and say, you know, we want to do the right thing for the client, we want to do the right thing for our investors. It's the same thing, same approach. Is that you know, when we close this deal, we're going to have eight hundred thousand dollars of capex money, and it's like people just you know. If they trust you like that, you know, you just need to do the right thing at all times. Listeners, did you hear what he just said? He said it like so matter of fact. This is a guy that's only been in the industry for two years. And in a few hours, they raised $4.2 million. You know, so that that comes from a few different things. That comes from one mindset. Like, look, if you don't believe you can raise, raise money, you will not raise money. Two, you know, you have to understand that you're presenting an opportunity 
Ryan is convinced that he is going to make all those people a lot of money. He's presenting an opportunity. He's not asking for their money. And, and, and so they feel like, you know what? I'm making a good investment by handing my money over to the steward of Ryan and having them invest it in the deal and, and work the business plan. So that's huge, huge, man. Absolutely. Um, holy cow. Hey, you talked about um, inefficient market earlier. What, what do you mean by that? So, you know, if we, if I picked up my phone, I said, okay, what's the price of um, Amazon right now? I mean, there are a, however many hundreds of, of very, very sharp people that follow that stock, that know everything that's happening with that stock. And, you know, a million different investors that, that watch it, that know, you know, and everybody knows what Amazon is, but that price that stock to market. And so I would say it's very efficient. You know, I'm never going to know anything about Amazon that's going to be better than the next guy. So stocks are very efficient. Inefficient is multifamily. So our San Antonio property had a 21-year owner based in California, went to the property once a year, and I looked at it. He had three people. I knew the two maintenance guys were doing nothing because when I walked the units to do diligence, the residents were like, come here. And they just crapped all over the maintenance guys. It was like, the guy never comes, you know, they're, they're horrible. And I was like, guys, you know, you have two people for 88 units, maintenance folks. And I was like, we're going to do it with one and we're going to find a better person and do it better. And so, you know, how I run an asset is very different than the neighboring property that runs the asset. Um, you know, and we're seeing that in Houston. We're like, you know, the, the neighboring property, I'd love to buy it. Because, you know, our property just looks so much better. It's run so much better. Um, we're attracting a different tenant profile, resident profile. Um, and so that makes it inefficient. It's, you know, it's the price of the property that we paid for wasn't broadcast everywhere. And it was an off-market deal. So it was very few, you know, limited buyer pool that it went to. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, pricing can be a little bit opaque in those markets. And that's, that's why the returns, you know, should effectively be higher than, you know, a very liquidly traded stock. Um, so just, you know, how I think about that space. And, and that's why it's important to be selective, right? Yes. So it's, it's inefficient. And so, you know, brokers can come out with two deals that are priced you know, their whisper number is priced right around the same amount, but one has a lot of opportunity and the other one is priced to perfection. Absolutely. So Absolutely. being able to understand the difference between those two opportunities and which one to, you know, take a run at and which one not to is very important. Um, so you talked about the 4.2 million in a few hours. Where... You've only been in the business for a couple of years. Like, where did you get your passive investors from? Where did your part, your limited partners come from? Is it from the multifamily mentorship group? Is it from, you know, prior um, dealings with in from the commodity space? Is it, you know, from your high school buddies, you know, back in the day? What, where, where did the most of the money come from? Yeah, I would say it came from two two places. So one is folks that I that I worked with on the commodity side, and they like to see the discipline that we apply, and they like the approach. You know that it it's uh, 
again, very institutional, transparent, and very hands-on. And um, so they they like that, and they like the diversification. You go from something like commodities that's extremely volatile, and um, in multifamily is the antithesis of that. It's it's you know stable occupancy, um, and it, it's you know again easy to understand. Uh, so they really like that. Um, so that's one. And then secondly is real estate professionals. So folks, you know we had. Uh, in our first deal, we had one of the leading brokers in Houston invest in that deal. We had a capital markets, a guy that runs an office here that does capital markets business for real estate invest in that deal. We had a number of coaches from these multifamily groups invest in that deal. So kind of say real estate professionals and people that understand and know the space really well. And I would say on the brokerage side, one thing that we were told early on, they're like, you know, we want to invest with you guys, but we don't want to sell you a deal because you know we're we're never going to um, you know funny. be able to convince you to to bite off on the you know all of these crazy things that we're trying to to sell in our pro formas um, you know because like you said, Darren, there there has to be some cushion um, to operate, and so you know we, that, that's we, funny. We try to said make that. Sure. A broker said that to me recently too. That's like, hey, I invested in this other deal. Because the sponsor is so far off on all of my offerings that I'm like, all right, if if he's so far off on all my offerings and he's got a good, he's got a deal, he must really think it's <laughs> it a must good be deal. a good one. <laughs> it's, uh, so, you know. um, hey, I want to talk about we're we're coming near the end, but like I want to talk about you mentioned something that your daughter said, which I th- you know how old's your daughter? She's 11. She's 11. 11. But I think it's something that a lot of people think about. Um, and I didn't want to lose money. And it's funny. I was just, you know, I was uh, playing golf and afterwards we were having cocktails and, and, you know, a few, few guys I play with, they, they, you know, they haven't done any real estate deals. They don't understand it. And when they hear about, you know, some of the returns I'm getting on some of the deals, they're, they're like, yeah, well, but that's more, that's more risky. And until I got involved three, four years ago, I may have thought the same thing, sure. but I actually believe I, I took a bunch of money on the stock market and I invested in passively in a lot of deals. I'm in three GP deals, but like, I am confident with my money being in these big multifamily communities. Um, and I think it's a safer place for my money to be capital preservation than to be in the stock market when any day it can go down by 30 or 40%. What's your, so what, what's your take on that? Yeah. So I, I have kind of a, a, a view that probably, you know, is a little bit different than folks in the real estate community. I, you know, a lot of my wealth was generated in the stock market. I'm not a stock picker again, for the reasons that I, I only invest one in things I, I know and understand and where I feel I can have an edge. So in stocks, I don't really have an edge. <laughs> and so I just in, invested in the cheapest, you know, low cost Vanguard mutual funds and it's done really well for me. Um, so it's been, you know, no stress. It's been the simple solution. It's been, you know, beat 90% of the active stock pickers out there. So it's been great. Um, on the multifamily side, I, you know, honestly, um, in social media, because it, it can be a very social media heavy um, space uh, and with syndicators and so forth. And, you know, I think we have seen a lot of deals that have been um, poorly managed and, you know, 
I think just the cap rate compression saved them. And, right. you know, cap rate compression that's, can only go true. down so far, right? So, um, you, you know, so someone that invested in my deal who's been in real estate for a very long time, and I was, you know, very honored that he chose to invest in our deals, his large operator. But he goes, <laughs> the first thing he told me is, if, if, if you tell me you never lost money in real estate, you're lying. <laughs> and so, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, We've, we've, you know, since I've been in the space, it's been cap rate compression and rent growth. And at some point, you know, just believing in markets and believing that there, things are cyclical, sometimes that will change. And um, so I, you just have to, we use the word selective many times, but just buying right is so important. And, but I, I know of deals where people scratched, um, you know, on the deal, meaning that they are exiting for the same price they bought it and they bought it many years ago. So it's like, um, I stay pretty humble about that in multifamily. It, it's, it, it happens. It happens that people get their business plans wrong or it happens that they pay too much. Um, and, I, and I think that in this market with the aggressive financing that's being provided, it can be easy to overpay. And, um, you know, frankly, as, as you know, even just investing passively in deals or buying deals actively, it just you have to be just super careful now. I think, you know, my careful antenna is even higher than it was before. <laughs> yeah, that ma that makes sense. Hey, uh, Ryan, wh what do you like to do outside of work? Yeah, so, um, you know, work, you know, candidly has been very all-consuming, um, you know, because I think about we basically started this whole business from nothing. Um, and now that we've taken investor money and people have entrusted us with that, it's, you know, we take it very seriously. So one thing I've been working on is just, you know, how to um, just get extra help. So my wife is helping me I actually hired a summer intern this year. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, um, have been using some VA help and the like. Um, so that, that is one project I'm working on is just how Not, to you, just no more rock time. band. Oh, rock band. So rock band <laughs> is, uh, yes. So we're bringing it back. Um, you so are one of the things that, yeah, so I started, uh, two years ago, um, I started a rock band at my kid's school, which was awesome. It was incredible. And then COVID hit and the day before, you know, I'll always remember COVID because the day before they were going to play, um, they were told that we're shutting things down at the school. So um, they, they were going to have a great show and play in front of the whole school mm. and play, you know, Beatles songs and One Republic and Coldplay and um, so, uh, but we're going to, school has been remote, but, um, I said, if next fall or this fall, they're open to it, we're going to start that back up. So that's a way of that I gave back. And, and, you know, for me, it's like everyone has special gifts and talents. And I, I really believe that everyone is made differently. And so they can give differently and, and add value differently. And, um, so that's one thing that I do. I spend a ton of time with my kids. I did a pretty involved, intensive early childhood education program with them and just create a very special bond with them growing up. So that was pretty awesome. Um, and then hopefully basketball. I really, I was playing twice a week before you're COVID. You're tall. And how, how tall yes, are you? 6'2". 6'2". All right. So you're, you're taller. I never most, could dunk you're though. Not, you're not so, in the uh, six, four, six, six range. No, no, no. no. So, uh, so, you know, they're going to start that up hopefully next week and still be good after a year and a half or a year or so of, of being, um, of not playing. So Very cool. those are some of the things that I do for fun, but, uh, you know, part of it is I, I do enjoy going to our apartment communities and, you know, I've donned work gloves and worked alongside our maintenance team and rehab. All right. So still and, on the business side, then yeah. what's the next big stretch? goal uh you know 
it's, I don't have a unit count in my head. You know, people like, I want to acquire a thousand units. And, and I'm just like, I just want to be profitable. I want investors to love me. Um, I want them to be happy. And um, I really want to get to a spot where, you know, the thing that I feel is a passion, a gift, and is being able to hire, to train, and to deploy people. So that could help in our business. And so whatever many units that is, and I think we're getting close where we could hire somebody full-time that could really help with, you know, making our assets perform the way that we want them to. Very cool. So a um, little gray in that response, but I get it. Um, hey, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah. So uh, just check out my website. It's lifechangingcapital.com. And there's a, you know, you can schedule a call, you can email me and there's a number of other resources there as well. Fantastic. Listeners, Ryan is new to the space. When I say new, I mean a couple of years um, and that is still relatively new and um, he's making a name for himself. You know, he's, he's building credibility, he's building a reputation and um, building a brand and doing all the right things. So Check him out and uh, look out for him. And I hope you enjoyed that one. Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on. Darren, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Until next time, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.